Hello my friends and uh, welcome to the Rise to the Top Uncensored, Uncut, Unconventional Conversations with Badass Entrepreneurs Episode number 311, that seems like a lot Seems like a lot, I'm David Seitman Garland, hello, how are you? I hope all is well in your world Annie Duke is joining me today for a little chit chat Author, mother, television star, a celebrity apprentice runner up Where I, I honestly believe she... This is from two seasons ago. Totally got screwed. Joan Rivers won that year. Should have been Annie Duke. Got to tell you that. Uh, but most importantly, world-class poker player and entrepreneur. She is in the house today. Great conversation coming up. Uh, before we get started, a couple of things. By the way, I feel like I have to like hold my microphone today. It's doing some weird stuff. Um, first and foremost, big shout out, big thank you, big plug for our sponsor. Go to my PC by our good friends at Citrix. So here's the thing. You want to access your files from anywhere, right? Like your iPhone, your iPad. You don't want to schlep around your big-ass computer, whatever it might be, use GoToMyPC. You can access your files from anywhere. And, it's, and don't let the name mislead you. PC also means Mac in this case. So Mac, PC, whatever. Uh, Want to check out the iPhone, iPad apps? Download them for free in the App Store and then head over to GoToMyPC. Click the Try It Free button. Enter the promo code RISE, 45 days on me for free and you're supporting the show and also I don't know if you check this out uh, but I am going to be speaking at the dot-com expo so it's dot-com expo with an X awkward spelling dot-com expo uh, it's being put on by Ryan Lee it is October 11th through 13th in Stamford Connecticut uh, what's very cool is I am following up Damon John from Shark Tank. So Damon John's the keynote speaker. I am right after Damon. Uh, so hopefully he doesn't put anyone to sleep on October uh, 11th through 13th at the Dot Com Expo. Going to be talking uh, podcasting and web shows. You know how to do it, how to get started. It's going to be uh, a lot of fun. Very much looking forward to that event. It's uh, Dot Com Expo with an X P O dot com. And finally, right before we get to Andy Duke, if you haven't already, uh, fastest way. Best way, most awesome way to get the shows delivered right to you. Head over to therisetop.com slash VIP. Therisetop.com slash VIP. Enter your email. You're going to be on the VIP list. You're going to hear about shows first. You're going to hear about all kinds of other cool stuff first. It's the best way to subscribe to The Rise of the Top. So therisetop.com slash VIP. All right. Let's talk show today. Uh, Annie Duke, very excited about it. I, I've been a fan of Annie Duke for a, a long time, and, and, and you know, I, I appreciate what she's done in poker. She's earned over $5 million in playing poker. Um, she's kind of created this very interesting brand for herself. Let's just call it what it is. You know, she's been on The Apprentice. She's been, uh, she's an entrepreneur doing a variety of different things, especially with media. So she, she writes books. She does a lot of different things. Um, she's got cool stuff going on right now. So brought her on. We're talking about a variety of different things in this interview. We're talking some behind the scenes stuff at Celebrity Apprentice and how she approached that quote unquote game and how she went about that. Um, we talk about poker and how she got into poker before poker was sexy and kind of what that meant and, and where she's going from there and also what she's up to now with uh, online publishing and, and some of the cool stuff that's shaken. So a lot of ideas, a lot of inspiration, a lot of cool stuff. This is a uh, audio only. We had to track Annie down, I think, in between, uh, in between all the stuff that she's doing here on the Rise to the Top. So sit back and enjoy. 
All right, well, welcome everyone to the Rise to the Top. I'm David Seitman Garland, and I am super excited today, not only because she's awesome, I'm also a huge fan. Annie Duke, author, mother, TV star, celebrity apprentice contestant, and most importantly, world-class poker player. Annie, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I am fantastic. You know, first of all, such a big fan. It's always it's always fun to have a conversation of someone not only that has an awesome story and background and is up to cool stuff, but you're also a fan of. So thank you for coming on. Oh, I'm excited to be here. I'm glad we got it all scheduled. It is. We had a little adventure, we, but we got it done. Yes. We, we are scheduled. We are good to go. Um, Annie, first of all, tell us a little bit about what you're up to now nowadays. Um, I know you got a lot of different things going on. You've got several books out. Um, what what's uh, what's the life of Annie Duke like right now in 2012? Well, uh, I'm kind of in an interesting uh, period in my life because I, so I started a company with uh, Jeffrey Pollack, who was commissioner of the World Series for. Uh, four years, right. um, really built that brand into what it is today. Great guy. And we started a company to, to bring uh, sort of a professionalized version of poker to the landscape. Um, because, you know, as you know, the big thing with the World Series of Poker and World Poker Tour is kind of anybody can enter, anybody can win, and that's very unusual in sports. Um, even if you're talking about snowboarding, right? Not everybody can snowboard on right. the X Games. There's some qualification criteria uh, that creates uh, you being a professional. So we sort of based the model on the PGA. We created a um, a uh, really a qualification system, uh, qualified the best players in the world based on performance, which was also another thing that was kind of unusual in the landscape because uh, prior to that, on the television shows, people got sort of picked for why they were famous. Now, there was a lot of crossover between best and famous, but they weren't Fully identical sets, right? Sure. So uh, we qualified a lot of the really young, great players who nobody's ever heard of. Uh, felt like they deserved a chance to become well-known as well. Um, and really based it on the PGA model, that you have a limited number of players playing in your events uh, between 100 and 150, uh, which is right where the PGA is. Uh, that way the fans can relate to them. There's rewards for being an elite player. We put on three great events uh, and then declared Chapter 11 a few months ago. Uh, we're working through the process. We're very hopeful that we're going to come out of it well. But it's been a big learning experience for me just in terms of, you know, what goes into a startup, uh, you know, how precarious it is, and then also really the power of things that you can't predict. So uh, mm. while it's been a challenging process, I think that it's, it's been a great process for me personally just in terms of my own personal growth. Well, what have been some of the – yeah, that's always interesting because I've I've heard – you know, and it's, and it's always something that I've seen – uh, frequently is that people that are super successful, you know, still have things that, that are learning experiences, still have things that yeah. don't work out quite as well as maybe they have wanted to. You know, it's not like, you know, once you do one thing right, you do everything right the rest of your life. Um, what, what have been some of those sort of insights or, and experiences that you've had with this that you've, that you've kind of taken away that you can bring into the next thing that you do? Well, I think that um, the first thing is that I, I think that you really need to understand sort of what's in your control and what isn't in your control. Um, you know, in our case, we launched the company and then Black Friday happened. So for people who don't know, Black Friday in the poker industry was there was this huge fuel to the poker economy, which was uh, the online poker sites that were operating that were U.S. facing. And I think people are pretty aware that sort of everybody could be playing online. And then uh, April 15th, 2000 and... 11, um, 
the U.S. government actually shut those sites down. So that happened after the launch of our company. And obviously that had a very deep effect on, on the poker economy. So um, that, that um, sort of just letting go of kind of what's out of your control I think is is a really important lesson that, you know, you can't, and this is a lesson that I actually take from poker as well, that you can't allow yourself to get really upset about things that you couldn't predict. And obviously there wasn't a way for us to predict that this big fuel uh, to the poker economy was going to be ripped away. But I think that the the other thing that I've I've just really learned is is to understand, um, you know, sort of just economies and the economies of, uh, a startup, because I think that what happened was the biggest mistake I, I would say that we made, made is that after um, the Black Friday incident, you could really look at the landscape in two ways. You, you could look at it and say, well, all this poker has gone away from television now, so obviously there's going to be a huge appetite, so this is good, right? But you right. could also look at it as the economy has been kind of ripped away and this is going to be bad. And I think that we chose the sort of positive outlook, and, and I think that while I think that's good in terms of just, uh, you know, moving forward with what your vision is, I think that we probably should have pulled back in terms of scale um, just in case, right, um, and taken a more conservative approach. I think as a poker player, I probably have a tendency perhaps not to take such a conservative approach. But, but you know, that's very 2020 hindsight because I think that the the um, the line that we chose to take was a reasonable line in terms of what our prediction was. Um, about what the landscape might look like. In retrospect, um, it turns out that it actually looked kind of differently, but I think that that's something that I can learn from going forward. Right. And, and you know, it just, it's, again, it sounds though like an interesting experience, just like everything that you've, you, you've yeah. done. I mean, there's, there's so many different things that, that to discuss here. I have to bring up this one before we even talk more about poker. And we were just talking about this before we, we start recording is, uh, is Celebrity Apprentice uh, one of yeah. one of my favorite shows? Um, a, a great business show. Um, you were on there in two thousand nine. Uh, you got screwed and should have won. That's just my <laughs> opinion. Uh, but that's that that is my strong opinion on this one. Um, uh, eventually losing in the end to Joan Rivers. First of all, tell us a little bit about that experience. How did you end up on the show? And, and tell us a little bit about kind of what it was like. Well, I'll tell you, it, Apprentice wasn't actually a show that I'd ever watched, and. Uh, my manager called me up and said, oh, I, I got you a meeting with the Celebrity Apprentice people. And I was like, I don't want to go on a reality show. Why, why am I supposed to take this meeting? He said, just go take the meeting. It was really hard for me to get. Please go take it. <laughs> so I went in, and normally I'm very well prepared for meetings. And, you know, I kind of know what I'm going in for. But in this particular case, I actually didn't want to do it. So I went in, and um, they said to me, well, you know, what would your strategy be? And I said, well, you'll have to explain to me how the game works because I've never watched it, which of course should have, you know, that's death in a meeting. But um, but I actually didn't, I actually wasn't looking to be on a reality show. So um, right. I think that I was sort of in some ways trying to sabotage the meeting. So uh, they then told me the rules of the game. I then told them my strategy at that meeting, and that was actually the strategy that I ended up using for the whole show um, because it's actually quite a simple game, it turns out, you know, you do your spouse, and then Trump decides who goes or stays. And the, the key to that strategy is that it's him deciding. So essentially everything you're doing is sort of uh, pandering to Trump. And I had said to the producers before I gave them the strategy, I asked them some questions about Trump and what Trump likes before I gave them my strategy. But, um, and then what happened was that so they seemed to be intrigued by this strategy that I had come up with, and then we were sort of discussing the structure of the show. And what I didn't know when I went into the meeting 
was that any money that you won went to charity. And <laughs> I, I have a big sort of charitable commitment in my life. I started a charity with uh, Don Cheadle and Norman Epstein called um, anti for Africa. And I just realized, well, this would be a vehicle for me to really raise awareness about what was going on in Sudan, which was something that was very important to me. Um, and to raise a lot of money for them. And really, honestly, I would just be kind of an asshole if I refused to do this, if I had the opportunity. So I was unaware going into the meeting about the charity component. But once I understood the charity component, I actually was like, you know, I should really try to do this show. So, uh, you know, after I was done with them, they sent me in to meet the guy at the network. And um, and then I was cast. And that sort of the rest is history because I did use the strategy that I gave them then pretty much to the T. Uh, as I went through that show. Yeah, and it's funny because that's a great lesson in general about the strategy that you use because people, you have to look at who's judging you, right? Or, or right. Who, who the, you know, and you could change that into any business lesson or life lesson that you want to. You know, it could be, it could be right. the person that, your customer at the end of the day, it could be the investor you're going after, it could be the, the, uh, the mate you're trying to attract, whatever, whatever it right. is, they're the person at the end of the day. And, and, and if you, and a lot of people, I don't think are clear on that. You know what I mean? And you can see that even now, like in the latest season of Celebrity Apprentice, some people that they just, you know, if you were on Trump's good side, good things happen. If you were not on Trump's good side, bad things happen in a hurry because that's at right. the end of the day, he's the one that's deciding. It's not a mathematical formula or anything like that. Right? Yeah. Well, and, and the thing is that, um, you know, I tell this to my kids about manners. You know, they say, well, you know, whether you hold your fork in your right hand or your left hand or, you know, how you're holding or whatever, they say that's just convention. You know, why are you so crazy about manners, Mom? And I, I say because if you ever go into a business situation and you're having a business lunch and you aren't holding your fork properly, the person you're with is going to notice, not because the convention, ha you know, there, there's some practical reason for that convention, but because they're going to think you're unaware of how you're perceived by other people. Right. And it's very important that they know that you're trying to make a good impression, and part of trying to make a good impression is actually having appropriate manners. And, and so even at the smallest level, you have to be aware of, like, what kind of impression am I making on this person? What did they want to hear? And there are times to kind of stand up for principle and times not to, you know, that it, it shouldn't really matter. And how you hold your fork is not a principle that I, I really need my children to be suddenly trying to change the world with. We're all going to hold our forks differently now um, when it's such a simple thing to make a good impression on somebody. So, you know, I think that is really an important lesson. And it's why I asked so many questions about Trump in particular um, before I went in, because I wanted to understand, like, uh, is he someone who enjoys conflict? Does he like it when people throw people on the, under the bus, or is he disgusted by that? Mm -hmm. um, does he like it when people take responsibility for the bad things they've done in a task, or does he only like people to take responsibility for the good things they've done in a task? Like, I was asking all those kinds of questions, because those are really important in terms of the way that you deconstruct a task to him, because in the end, that's all that the boardroom is. Right. And, and overall, what was your experience like on the show and, and also kind of the aftermath of it? Was it, was it? was it more difficult than you thought it was going to be? Was it fun? Was it really annoying? What, what was it like? I mean, I, I, have, I was ambivalent about it because um, as a games player and also as a business person, by the way, because I, I do a lot of brand consulting. Sure. Um, it, was, it was a really interesting challenge. Uh, a couple of things were really interesting about it. Number one, when I went in, I realized that not everybody realized that they were playing a game, which I found very fascinating as a games player, right? Because, of course, 
when I was asking all of those questions of the producers initially, it was because I recognized that it was a game. Right. And when I went in, I realized that not everybody recognized that it was a game. Some people were there for other reasons, which is totally fine. But, you know, it's those moments where you find out that people, not everybody thinks like you do, you know, which is because I'm around games players all the time. So I just assumed everybody would know they were playing a game. So that was really fascinating for me. Um, uh, and that's not to say it's a bad thing for them. They were there for other reasons than I was. But I found the actual challenges to be really fascinating. Um, I tended to work on the branding side of the challenges, and I really happened to like that work. So that was all really interesting for me. Um, what wasn't interesting was, you know, the interpersonal relationship with Joan was very difficult. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was not part of the experience that, that I particularly enjoyed. Um, but, you know, that sort of just goes into this growth because I, one, one thing that happened was I had been on a show before with Phil Helmuth and he had really gotten under my skin and I'd let myself kind of lose my cool. Um, and I really regretted that. And so I sort of used that experience going into that relationship with Joan. And, you know, as you saw when I was in the boardroom and she was attacking me and this kind of stuff, I really just sort of kept my cool. Yeah, you're calm. Um, calm as a cucumber. And- <laughs> yeah, and I had learned that from this previous experience, and I think it was something that kept me on the show, show a longer time because Trump was really fascinated by that, and he kept saying to me, how come you're not getting upset? Why aren't you taking this personal? Why why aren't you yelling back at Joan? And, you know, because it was because I was very focused on what the game was, you know. There were sort of two things that I was thinking about. One was this is a game about business, so the personal attacks don't make sense within the context of that, um, and so I find it sort of fascinating from that sense. Um, but the other thing was that um, I really took advice that I give my children, which is when my children would come home and they were being teased by somebody at school or there was a kid who was sort of a bully who was bullying them or whatever, and they would be in tears and they'd be like, this is what they said, and they'd be so upset, I would say to them, well, let me ask you a question. If you were having a, a real a big problem in your life and you wanted to go ask somebody for advice, would you ask them their advice? Would you value their opinion? And they say no because no. they're mean and they're not nice people and I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't take their advice about a problem that I was having. And I said, so that means that you don't value what they say. So about why do you value what they say if it's negative? Yeah, it's good, great advice right there in, in general. And, and, and that's so, but overall though, so it sounds like it was just an interesting experience uh, that we could yeah. chalk up uh, in general. Well, no, I mean, I think, I think I learned a lot on that show. I think I, you know, and I raised a lot of money for charity. So I would certainly, you know, not take back the fact that I did that show at all. But reality shows are stressful. They keep you working 15 hours a day. You don't really get any sleep, and they don't feed you very much. So they're trying to make you cranky. So you kind of, you know, you sort of remember that you were kind of cranky and tired a lot too, you know? Yeah, I would have been cranky and tired in about seven seconds, and I wouldn't have lasted. I can tell you that right now. If you don't give me, if you don't give me sleep and food in like an hour, I'm gonna be like probably setting people on fire or something. So it's uh, well, you would definitely have trouble with the show, and you can see that since you're a fan, you see people fall apart on the show. Yeah, it, absolutely, and I think about that too. It's like, yeah, I'm sitting here well rested and well fed. It's 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 a whole different story. Um, right, so Annie. I want to talk. Uh, shifting gears a little bit back to sort of your. Um, Talking a little poker here, uh, and I, I'm always fascinated by people like yourself that that are successful in, in a particular area, in this case poker, um, of how this even came into your life to begin with. And you know, you you were born in New Hampshire. Um, you're super well, you know, educated. You went to Columbia University. How did you get into the poker world? What attracted you to it, and how did you get into it? Yeah, you know, it's very interesting because, of course, I. Um 
uh, entered the, um, you know, poker world at a very different time than what the landscape has looked like sort of in the last 10 years. So in the last 10 years, it makes sense that somebody might become a poker player because right. it's all over television. Huge exposure. You know, every other, all you see. Every other channel right. has like poker. It's like poker stars, super poker stars, blind poker right. stars. I don't know what I'm seeing, but every channel has it. For sure. I, th- I think that the World Series of Poker refer uh, ESPN rather re- referred to the World Series of Poker as like wallpaper on their channel, right? Because anytime that they didn't have some sort of sporting event going on, it was just like poker twenty four seven, right? Exactly. So, so then it makes sense because then you get that same reason why would someone want to become a singer or why would someone want to become a football player or whatever? Because you're exposed to it. Oh, I can become famous. I can make lots of money. But when I started, um, that was certainly not the case. I became a professional player in nineteen ninety four. And at the time, uh, if people would ask me what I did, you know, I would say, oh, I play, play professional poker. And then they would say, oh, where do you deal? And I would say, no, 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 I, I don't deal poker anywhere. I actually play for a living. <laughs> um, and it would usually, at some point in the conversation, they'd ask if I'd been to Gamblers Anonymous or uh, if I had married someone really rich. Or um, It was actually a very funny conversation to have. And, you know, poker play, I, I was choosing something at the time that was really guaranteeing my anonymity, which turned out to be very, of course, ironic. But the way that I got into it was my brother, well, we were real games players when we were growing up, although not poker. Our whole family interacted playing games. So uh, this is really what we, we did socially to interact as a family. And my brother during that time, uh, when he was a teenager, became, became very, very enamored of chess. And started really studying it. He was reading all the books, you know, studying the openings. He was actually going to test tournaments. Uh, actually got pretty high in the ratings. He got up to be a master. And when he was 18, he, he had gotten into Columbia as well, but decided to defer a year um, because he wanted to go study in New York with a grandmaster in chess. Uh, so he, he had gone off to do that. And, um, you know, the games world is very intertwined. So sort of through that sort of chess back door, he ended up playing some poker. He was very, very bad at it in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, lost, actually, his college money. He had about $6,000 saved up for college, which he lost. Um, but in that process of losing the money, actually started to become very good. And he played at a place called the Mayfair Club, which is, is quite famous uh, in New York because that is where Eric Seidel came from. That's where Jason Lester came from. That's where Dan Harrington came from. Obviously, my brother, Steve Solitow. So this was a real breeding ground for some of the great players sure. in the game. And, and that's really where he got his training. So that was while I was still in high school. And then I went to college. Uh, he was obviously in New York. And, and by the time that I got to New York to go to college, he was now a very successful player. Um, then, I, then I went to graduate school at UPenn. And um, it's at the end of my career at UPenn, as I was finishing my Ph.D., I just really realized that, that I didn't want to stay in academics, at least not as a professor, and that I wanted to do something else. So what happened was that um, in the meantime, you know, my dad was a school teacher. My mom didn't work, so I wasn't being, you know, ejected into the world with a trust fund. So honestly, when I quit graduate school, I just kind of needed money because obviously I gave up my fellowship. And, um, and he said to me at the time, well, why don't you try playing poker in order to make some money while you try to figure out what you want to do? And I was like, okay, you know, and he, he started coaching me. And I started playing, and within a year or so, I was down at the World Series playing and had a really good first World Series and ended up moving moving to Vegas. And I started my professional life as a player, um, really just because I didn't know what else I wanted to do. And once I started playing, I, I realized that it was something that I was good at and something that I really loved. 
Yeah, and what what specifically with poker attracted you to it? You know, was it well? You know, because I, I I've seen a lot of stories like this where it's it, it's not necessarily poker, but just all kinds of different things where you kind of fall into it. Maybe it's a brother, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's something like that. And you go into it, and you're like, and then you realize, wow, this is really cool. I maybe sh- didn't think about this before. What though got you kind of going with poker? Um, you know, I think that there were a few things. Um, you know. I think that as adults, we all play out our childhood in some way, whether it's in, you know, our relationship with people or what we choose to do, you know. And like I said, I mean, this was a family that I grew up in that really interacted over games. So I think that it it was actually not surprising that two of the three children in the family ended up being games players for a living. And it's actually not surprising that my sister didn't do it because my sister is much, much younger than, than me and my brother. And by the time that my sister was old enough to really be playing the kind of games that we were, um, my brother and I were kind of already off to college and, and that sort of part of the culture of the family had fallen away. So she really wasn't raised in the same environment we were. So I think that when I started playing the game, it was just something, it was something very comfortable to me. It was something I knew and it was something that I had really grown up with. Um, and then on top of that, you know, the intellectual stimulation of, of playing poker is so amazing. I mean, I have been a professional now for, what, 18 years, Hmm. and I still don't think that I play very well, and I still don't think that I know very much about the game. And and a lot of what my writing is um, is about getting people to start thinking more clearly about the game and realizing that there's no hard and fast rule that's ever going to give you the right answer, that it's about your thought process and always being willing to engage in the learning process and really having great humility in the face of your game. And and that's not to say that you should have humility in the face of your opponents. It's important to be confident and confident that you're better than your opponents. But um, humility in the face of the game itself, because it's so incredibly complex that in 18 years, I certainly haven't managed to master it, not even close. Um, and I think that that's one of the, the things that keeps me very engaged in what it is, because it's not tic-tac-toe, which gets super boring, you know. And... Um, so I think that that was something that was really attractive to me. And then, honestly, the other thing, and that goes to the irony, was that I really enjoyed the idea of being kind of on the fringe and yeah, being uh, really marginalized um, in society and anonymous and all of those things. I had grown up as a real kind of outcast on this very, very Tony private school campus called St. Paul's School in New Hampshire. And, you know, my dad was Jewish and we were poor and everybody there was rich. And, you know, I, I really become very comfortable in this kind of role as outsider. And I think that that had really attracted me to this, that I, that I kind of liked the idea of that. Um, of course, that completely went away about nine years later. Who could have fitted? But I was going for it in the beginning. I had some intention in the beginning at any rate. Yeah, do you, do you miss kind of that the, the old school days of that when it was more anonymous and more kind of like subculture and more like no one quite understood what you were doing when it now becomes quite mainstream? Because, you know, now you have people that are probably growing up and thinking, you know, this is what I want to do, you know, because of the way that it's it's out there now. Yeah, um, I mean, know, I, I definitely have nostalgia for that. I don't, There's no question I have nostalgia for that. I think that the people that poker was attracting were – just really super interesting people because you had to you had to really find your way to poker back then. Um, you know, that being said, of course, there's a lot of opportunity that came with the television boom. So I can't say that I'm not happy that all of that stuff happened. Um, you know, poker was certainly really good for me at the beginning of the century. Um, I'm not complaining. 
uh, it, it, it was just that it was a big paradigm shift for me in terms of the way that I ha- was living my life and how I thought about me as a person and, and what I did. But I have a lot of nostalgia for the days when I was just kind of grinding it out and uh, nobody knew who I was. And there was this really tight-knit, small community of players and everybody kind of knew each other and we all had relationships with each other. And I mean, it was actually a really nice community. Um, back then, some of that community has kind of certainly fallen away, but there's so much good that comes with sort of what the landscape looks like now that, you know, it would, it would hard to be, it would be hard to say one is better than the other. It's just that I think there were some really great things about the way that it used to be. Very cool. All right. Well, as we wrap up here in a few, Annie, we have the speed round of questions. Are you ready for the speed okay. round? All right. Here we go. Yes. Random speed round questions. And I want to make sure to let everyone know about the book as well. All right. Here we go. Number one. What would you say is your greatest accomplishment to date? My children. But if you're talking career-wise, it would be the, the uh, NBC National Heads Up Championship because I beat Eric Seidel in that, and I really believe that Eric Seidel is the best poker player just about who's ever lived. And so that, that was just a really incredible experience for me. Very cool. All right, so best advice you've ever received? It could be business or life advice, either way. Yeah, I, the best advice I ever received was actually from my brother, which was um, stop moaning about bad things that have happened to you because uh, if it's just a bad thing that happened to you that you couldn't control, then there's no point to it. Uh, that's a good one. All right, what is the number one advice that you give to your children? Uh, be respectful and always say please and thank you. That's a good one. All right. How about a guilty pleasure? A guilty pleasure. Oh, well, I, for sure, it's like the Real Housewives. Wait, any, any particular <laughs> so Real cliche. Housewives? Any Real Housewives? Okay. I don't watch – well, I don't watch New Jersey and Atlanta, which some people tell me are the best ones. But I watch um, uh, Real Housewives of Orange County and Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and Real Housewives of New York. And I'm so embarrassed about that. Like, I'm this Ivy League-educated woman, and I'm, like, sitting, like, it's, oh, it's Tuesday night. So uh, that's definitely my guilty pleasure. Well, if you ever come into St. Louis, uh, where I'm at, you can enjoy watching that with my wife, who also, as a highly educated woman, reduces herself to watching The Real Housewives all the time as well. So I, I would say that's well, not, he- that is not that bad of a guilty pleasure, right? Well, I guess, so. you know, I have a theory that the reason why I watch it is that um, – you know, I live a very stressful life, and so I zone out in front of this thing, and I think, well, at least I'm not them. Right, exactly. <laughs> it is a great ego boost and a happy boost. I can tell you that much. Right. Every time that I've been forced, right. forced to watch it for a couple minutes, where I usually last about three to six minutes when I watch it, but uh, uh, when, I, when I get in there, I'm like, I just shake my head. I just sit there in silence, and it's hard to make me be quiet, so I, I, I certainly right. understand. I certainly understand. Um, so, Annie, uh, first of all, this has been super interesting today. Thank you again for taking the time. Um, your book, the latest one that's out is uh, Decide to Play Great Poker, a strategy guide to no-limit Texas Hold'em. We're going to make sure to link that up in the show notes. Uh, what can people expect right. in that book? Yeah, and also I want to I want to mention I've got a really uh, two really exciting new projects coming up. Oh, yeah, anything um, you want to give some love to. The first is, I think, you know, there's a big trend now in e-publishing to put out what are called singles. So uh, these are very, this is a very, it, it takes up about a third of the, the Kindle market at this point, I think, which are just um, like 10,000 word uh, 
e-books oh, yeah, that perfect. you know people yep. can consume on a plane or something like that. They're called singles, and so there aren't any singles in the poker space, and so I'm actually going to be putting out a series of singles. I should have the first one out by either the end of the month or, or the beginning of this month. I've just finished the cover art, and we're in the process of formatting, oh, very um, cool. at which we'll, we'll put it up. And that's going to be called um, The Middle Zone, Mastering the Most Difficult Hands in Texas Hold'em Poker. Okay, So cool. I'm super excited about that, and I'm going to put out one about every four to six months, and they're just smaller essays on the more, dis, you know, the, the more sort of more precise topics in poker. Um, so I'm really excited about those. And then the other thing I'm super excited about that should be coming out in July is that Vanessa Russo and I, along with our co-author Josh Duty, actually are about to put out uh, two volumes of a Heads Up Poker book. And it's really exciting because she, she got to the finals of the NBC Heads Up uh, Poker Championship in 2009. I won it in 2010 and we got all of our televised hands. So it's literally a hand-by-hand analysis of that tournament. Oh, uh, awesome. That, that Vanessa and I do, and so that should be coming out this summer. Um, so I just wanted, I just wanted to push those because I'm, I'm so excited, and I'm so particularly excited about these poker singles because, um, really, you know, it's kind of new in the space, and I'm really excited to see how it does. Yeah, I, I, I got to tell you, those uh, singles, I like. I, I've never actually heard it referred to as that. I really like that phrase, the singles. They, they are awesome because, you know, for example, uh, I read one that Mark Cuban did. That was like his, right. his, and you know, it was, I, I want to say it was probably about 10,000 words, you know, read it on a plane, felt like I learned some stuff and then I was kind of done with it. It wasn't as daunting, you know, as kind of right. jumping into something that was 300 pages or something like that. And I think that that's going to be, you know, as we're all getting a little more ADD, um, I think those things are helpful. So I, I think that's going to be really well, yeah, cool and for I, And I think that that just isn't, that naturally follows from the economies of scale, right? That um, it wouldn't have made sense to have a 10,000 word book because the price of printing isn't significantly different for a 300 page book as it, as it is for, you know, a 50 page book. And so you can't really price the 50 page book right if you're only doing a hard copy. But once you start doing e-publishing, it just really doesn't matter, you know, how long the book is because if you want to just sell something for 99 cents or in the case of this, it's going to be 2 because obviously it's more technical advice. But you can you can price it however you want because you don't just sort of have the hard cost of of paper printing and so it really does naturally follow from just you know what the new digital world looks like and so I'm really excited to kind of go with that flow and um, hopefully do something that that you know is innovative in the space. Awesome. Well, Annie, uh, I'm I'm pumped for you. Uh, it looks awesome, and uh, you know, can't wait to see what you have coming next because you always got stuff coming up. And uh, again, appreciate it today, and good luck with everything. And uh, and I hope all is well. Okay. Thank you. All right, my friends, that's a wrap. We are all out of time today on the Rise to Top. I hope you enjoyed it. Annie Duke, she's a rock star. I, I really like that idea of kind of doing the singles. You know, those like little tidbits and uh it'll be interesting to see how those go hopefully got your uh your sparks going as well so one more reminder of course thank you in advance for supporting our sponsors like go to my pc where you can grab the new iphone app access your files from anywhere anywhere as long as it has the internet, okay? Can't do it if it doesn't have the internet. But anywhere that has anywhere that has the internet, any device, phones, iPad, etc., download the app, get it for free, then head over to go to mypc.com, click the try it free button, enter the promo code RISE for 45 days free. Pretty sweet deal. Reminder, one more time, 
that uh, jump on that VIP list, the Rise VIP list. It is the rise.top.com slash VIP. Enter your email if you haven't done. Whoa. That is me uh, talking on the site there. Um, head over uh, the risetop.com slash VIP. Enter your email. You're going to hear about everything first. I will see you next time. And remember, if you want some fluff, I'm saying it again. Go pet a bunny.